Please take your seats. Wonderful to be here back with you guys. Uh, it always feels great coming back to family. Um, and we've been here enough now to really feel like you guys are family. And just honor again Paul and Ruth and Chloe. Man, beautiful to see you up there singing, doing a great job. <coughs> Can you give it up for your worship team, actually? Yeah. I just think there's been significant movement in the team. And, um, and you're just working with you guys this morning and, um, and yesterday. The spirit that's over it is just really, really beautiful. Guys, thank you for serving so wonderfully this morning. You know, we worked them pretty hard. <laughs> and they just respond so beautifully. Here to serve you guys. Wow. Hey, they're here to yeah. serve you guys. And just, I mean, don't, don't, I know they have a good time up there as well, but, but don't take that for granted. Yeah. They really are. All the, all the guys that are here early setting up, the guys setting up the table, working and serving on the background, I just, it blows me away when I see people serving the house. Just such a servant heart. Why? Because Jesus was a servant. Servant heart. Okay, cool. Well, this morning I, I'm really excited to talk about the Father Heart of God. I understand you've been in a bit of a series. Yeah, and, and um, it's one of my favorite topics ever because um, the Father Heart of God has been such a big deal to me personally. Uh, wh- before knowing who, just that song, you know, I know who, uh, who you say I am. It's just a, such a big deal when you know who he says that you are. The Father gives identity. Knowing who you are in Him just does so much for you. And so it's really, it's a a big deal for me. Before I get into it, can I just tell you, because I forget it, I always forget to talk about the books and stuff we've got down the back. Um, A few years ago, I wrote a book called Rebranding Worship, which is all about worship and nothing about music, right? All about worship. It's just such a, it's a walk through the Bible, through the lens of what is really real worship look like. And I really enjoyed uh, writing this because it was such an uh, eye-opening kind of story to the Old Testament stories. Really fun. A lot of fun. Um, yeah, It's so funny when you put yourself in the Old Testament stories. Like, we kind of think of them as old people and um, that were different to us. But actually, they're just the same. People have always been people. And so all the same things we find funny now and scary now and you know, uh, risky now, they found the same. So I just, as I was going through it, I felt like God just showed me really what real life was and, um, and therefore we're a, what, what world worship can be. Libby has also written a book called Journey. Um, for those of you that have read it, you can testify that it really is a journey through your emotions. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you'll, you'll cry. Um, I may or may not um, admit that it made me cry. So that's a real man. Real men cry, right? So please go and check that out. Libby's, Libby's story um, of her journey with God to intimacy with God is something amazing, really, really amazing. So I would love for you to grab that. Cool. All right. Um, in Genesis 26, it says this, this cool verse. It says, this is God, God speaking. He says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Don't fear a thing because I'm with you. I'll bless you and make your children flourish because of Abraham, my servant. There's, fathers, there's fatherhood all through the Bible. God is about families, and God is about fathers. Um, he's always been about family. He, he is Father God. The description of God as, as, as Father is actually under attack in a, uh, around the world today. When you, there's a lot of people who don't want to call him Father. A lot of Christians who don't want to call him Father. They call him Mother God. 
You know, and you go, well, hey, hey, we're getting that wrong. So when we look through the Bible and we say, well, where did the father thing come from? In the Old Testament, there's actually not, it's not as common as the New Testament. In the Old Testament, though, he is definitely called father. There's like, um, specifically in two places, he called, he's just called the father of the nation of Israel. And, but that's, that's different to later on in the New Testament when Jesus comes along. In the Old Testament, it says, yeah, he's the father of the nation of Israel. And then there's some Old Testament scriptures that say that he is the father of certain individuals. But it's more like um, Jeremiah, which says, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. That's cool. Isaiah says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. Isaiah again says, Doubtless you are our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us and Israel acknowledge us not. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer. It's kind of a, um, you know, the redeemer father, the one that's kind of back here. Um, But then in Chronicles, he talks to David, or he talks about Solomon, actually. He says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be you, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. It gives that sense of, you know, our overlooking father, which is, you know, which is cool. But then when Jesus comes along, Jesus calls him father in the way a, a baby boy would call a father. He uses the word Abba. When it comes to Jesus, father was his favorite term for addressing God. <clears throat> it appears on his lips some 65 times in the Gospels and over 100 times in John alone. Wicked, eh? Abba, Father. Definitely more intimate than the formal Father, that overshadowing Father of the Old Testament. Why? Because Jesus came to show us what really is God's ultimate uh, purpose for our, his, our, his relationship with us. It's to be that intimate. And I think it's the saddest thing in the world when the Father-Son relationship doesn't, is not intimate. Now, we, you kind of know about the daddy's girl thing. Hey, little girls, we, my, my princess is definitely a daddy's girl, definitely, and she grew up that way, and she could wrap me around her finger, you know, do stuff, but then as she got older, she, she tried to, like, pull, the, pull those eyes on me every, every time she would try to get something, and I'd be like, mm-mm, ain't working, but my son, when he came along, there's something about him, man, I, like, Gracie came along, and she was, she was this bubbly girl, and I, did, I always wanted a girl first, I always wanted a princess, and I got that, and it was beautiful. Then when Josh came along, I had no idea that this little bundle of fur <laughs> could melt my heart so much, because I grew up with a dad that wasn't affectionate, and I had no idea that this little baby boy could melt my heart so much. Gracie is the joy of my life. She just she brings me so much joy. I love her dearly. But there's something about Josh that's just, even today, he's 20 years old, and he'll still come and just snuggle in, you know? And I love it. I'm like, but I have to, like, reach up to, to hug him because he's six foot one, you know? <laughs> but he's still got that heart. I just never knew that that type of affectionate affection could happen between a father and a son because I didn't grow up with it. And something in me has, has always wanted that affection. But something within me always felt like, oh, I needed to get it from the female, from mom or from sisters or from girlfriends or, you know? And so when I had a boy, that just melted my heart. All of a sudden it became a new, it became, it became a new revelation of how God feels about me. <laughs> 
So when Jesus comes, there's a difference between the Old Testament Israel relating to God as the Father, the overlooking Father, and Jesus coming in the New Testament to say, Abba, Father. He brings that sense of intimacy. That old school kind of English thing where, Father, you know, Father, may I inquire of you? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Um, to what employ shall I, <laughs> you know, Father? It's, it's like not that anymore. You, we don't have to have that kind of, we, where the fathers don't talk to their sons. Um, when my kids call me Daddy or Papa, gets my heart. It really gets my heart. And if you think that's God's idea for us, when we call him Papa, when we come to him calling him Abba Father, when we come to him calling him Daddy and have that type of affection for him, then of course, how is he going to respond to that? It was, he responds in the same way as I respond, all the dads, right? When your kid comes to you, Daddy, there's nothing like that. I see it all the time on Instagram when, when, when fathers are away and then they come home. And the response they get from, from their kids, Daddy's home. Hey, Daddy. <laughs> there's Dad. Hey, there's Dad right there. Papa. Oh, Moko. Granddad. <laughs> yeah, Kuro. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bringing my sermon illustration alive. See, only the special ones get to call you Dad. Only the, only the special ones get to call me daddy. We are, a stu- we are mum and dad to a bunch of students, so a whole bunch of young people around the, around, the, around the, probably around the world, actually. A lot of people call us Papa Hui and Mama Libs, right? Because there's that father figure and, and the mother figure that everybody needs. There's a ho- it saddens us, actually, how many kids come to our school each year and they are desperate for a father figure or a mother figure because they didn't grow up with it. Why is that so important? Because it brings so much identity and worth and nurturing, security. The mum and dad are supposed to be there to protect their kids. And if a kid grows up without it, of course, they're, they're, they're looking for it their whole lives. We wonder why we get into so much trouble with our, with our kids when they grow up because we don't, we don't grow them up with that affection, with that nurturing. That's God's heart. If I was Satan... I'd be out to destroy that image of God in young people. You, you wonder why the whole role of dad is being attacked in society today? Look, you go to men's prisons, and you ask how many of them had good dads? The percentage is something like less than 10%. I'd, be, I'd, I'd say less than 5%. I actually had a dad that you know, was even around, let alone loved them, let alone loved them affectionately. They, they did that experiment where they, it was Father's Day, it was Mother's Day, and so Hallmark gave a whole bunch of Mother's Day cards to all the inmates at prison, and there was just a, a humongous response. So many young men in prison all writing these beautiful cards to, to their mums because everybody loves their mum. All the sons love their mums, right? So there were Mother's Day cards just, just flowing, flowing, flowing. They ran out, they had to pour th- millions, actually. Millions of cars all around the this is U.S. prisons uh, in the States where they were just putting so many, so many Mother's Day cards because all these sons wanted to just love their mom. Oh, I love my mom. You know what I mean? Well, then they, they thought, well, let's do the same for dads, for Father's Day. So they gave their cars, a whole bunch of cards to prison. 
maybe zero, zero, zero point zero, almost none. Nobody wanted to write a Father's Day card because there were no, no dads, there were no relationships. If they knew their dads at all, there probably was a bad relationship. They didn't want, and not enough to write a card. You don't think that that's strategic by the enemy? <laughs> Let's wipe out the image of father. Why? So that when people grow up, they cannot relate to a father God. Let's destroy the image of a father in families so when people grow up, they cannot relate to a father in heaven. That's just the saddest thing, isn't it? And I, and I think we have to understand. See, we, we run into the era of thinking that um, the, we call him father as an analogy to our, to our, father, our fatherly kind of relationship. Well, it's the same for marriage. You know when we talk about marriage, we go, oh, yeah, Jesus is the, or well, we are the bride of Christ. And, uh, you know, there's the marriage wedding and stuff like that. And we kind of think, oh, th- yeah, that's a good analogy using what we have as marriage to analogize what Jesus has with us. Actually, it's the other way around. We, we call it marriage, and it's modeled after what Jesus has with us. We call it father and family, but actually it's modeled after what God has for us. It's modeled what God, has in, what God is in a father, and actually, if you think about it, right, the reason people do not like, a bunch of Christians don't like calling him father, and so they're going for this mother God thing, even though it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to try and say, no, let's not call him mother. It's because they're making the mistake of thinking just because we call him father, that means God is male. Okay, he's spirit. He's spirit, but he's actually whole, and, and the fullness of God has a paternal nature and a maternal nature. Paternal nature and a maternal nature, right? Because in him is everything we need. We have the protection. There's... Um, in Luke, Luke 13, there's this beautiful verse where Jesus is, is calling out to Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. That's the maternal nature of God reaching out to say, I would love to gather you like a mother hen gathers his chicks. Isaiah 49 says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. But he says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? This is God speaking. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. That's the maternal nature of God. He actually does have that nurturing. And that's where we get the idea of father and mother. It's just that in humans, we took on a paternal nature and, and a maternal nature, and we split them into two. But it all comes from God. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> it's why Satan is trying so hard to destroy the image of father in families. If he can destroy families, he destroys both the maternal and the paternal natures. He destroys that image in people. The, the way that, if, the, if, we, if we can ruin that relationship between daughter and mother and father and son, between, he can screw the relationship up, even between son and mother and daddy and her girl, his girl. You know, we, we joke about this thing, oh yeah, well you've clearly got daddy issues. 
And I, and I think it's actually no joke. But we make light of it. Daddy issues. They have real issues. And they will screw your life up. We, we joke about things like that. You know, you, you didn't get hugged enough when you were a kid. Actual, that's a problem. Because it will lead to a bunch of stuff. And I bet you're not laughing when you're, when you're hooked on drugs because you didn't get hugged enough when you were a kid. Simple thing, right? Simple thing when you're growing up could have changed the course of your life. So if I was, again, the enemy, I'd be going for kids and I'd be, going, and I'd be trying to destroy that family relationship that we had. Man, there are things we learn from a father and there are things we learn from a mother. The father heart of God is incredible. There are things we learn from a father and the biggest thing we learn from our dads is identity. We learn who we are. If you think about it, right, when you're, when you're trying to figure out who you are, whose name do you carry? When, when you get, um, you know, the, the name that you take on, the name that you carry, it lets you know stuff. And they've got a different name. We want to know a name and a tribe from. In Māori, we all know, we, we, we want to know a name and a tribe. Hey, I remember walking onto places and no idea, you know, walking onto Marais and they're going, who's your dad? Hey, you know, I get these old ladies going, who's your dad again? Because they hear who to her. And they go, is that Matt? Hey, I'm lobbying in Gisborne or somewhere. And they're all like, oh, yeah, Matt, who do we from over? Hey, you know, you get that thing. Why? Because it's identity. They want to know where you're from. Hey, because they want to know who you are. Identity gives you what? Tūranga wai wai. It lets you know you have a place you belong. As soon as you carry that name, I am huirua. Hey, now I know where I stand. Now I know. I can go back to Taranaki anytime. I haven't been there for a long time, actually. I can go back there anytime. They'll see the name. They'll go, Harumai, come and have a kai. <laughs> actually, and then do the dishes. <laughs> Who you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> to know who you are, to have that tūranga waiwai, to have that place of belonging, to know that you stand in a place to say, no, I am that, it gives you certain rights. It gives you rights, says Tangata anyway. It gives you rights to say, no, I belong here. Therefore, I, have, I can go in here because I have rights. Because my, I mean, my kids have got into so many VIP rooms at conferences because of their surname. Hey, they'll, they'll, they, we, we'll have like special passes and security at all these conferences. Like a really, it's huge. Have to have a big security pass. So, but these kids will come up. Oh, no, go. No, oh, who are you? Oh, my dad's uh, Wayne and Libby. Oh, my dad is <laughs> my mum and dad. Wayne and oh, yeah, come on in. Right? They get in because of who they are, and because they know who they are, they know what to ask for. You, th- you think about that with God. You, if you, when you know who you are, you know what to ask for. You know what rights you have. When Satan comes against you with lies and tells you you're not worth it, you go, stuff off, man. I know who I am. I know what God says about me. When, when, the, when circumstances come against you, and, and they, they, you'll start believing things about yourself, like you're always going to be poor. Ooh, that's got somebody. Hey, when that lie comes against you, you start thinking you're always going to be poor. And you go, no, I am a child of God. 
he says, I'm abundant and wealthy, and I've got harvest, and I've got so much seed, and I've got all this stuff coming at me. Therefore, I will ask for what I am, what I am owed, what I am entitled to. My inheritance is abundance and prosperity and wholeness. Therefore, I will not be satisfied until I get what I am entitled to. But if you don't know who you are, you will start believing those lies that say, no, you're not worthy of that. And you know that. that I hate that feeling inside when you feel like, God, you are choosing to reject me and not give me that stuff. You know what I feel like. You know what that feels like, right? And the money's just not happening. And there's that little thing inside that says, no, God's holding out on you. And you're like, oh, you know, no, he's, he, you are not worthy of this. You're not worth it. You don't belong to him. You're just an adopted child. I remember my son coming home once to, to, to Libby and saying, am I adopted? <laughs> Mama, and Libby was like, no. And he was like, well, Mitchell told me I was adopted. <laughs> Blimmin' Mitchell. <laughs> Why? Because he would show up. Like, Libby would be the only one that would drop him off at school. He's a little brown kid, white mum. So Mitchell, Mitchell saw the two and thought, you must be adopted. <laughs> hey, imagine if Josh didn't know who he was. Grows up thinking he's adopted. And he's got all these rights as a full-blood child. But if he's, if he's believed that lie from Mitchell, Satan Mitchell, <laughs> he'd be thinking he's just adopted and therefore doesn't have the same rights. Now, this is why it's amazing when Jesus says about us, when God says about us, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are now co-heirs with Christ. We are full sons and daughters. He even says about, we are now sons and daughters of Abraham, children of Abraham. Like that's, that's getting really weird because Jesus, you can understand the spirit. But, but when, he, when he talks about Abraham, Abraham was the father of our faith. So then, and it was to Abraham that God gave the big promise. The big, the big covenant, I will bless you, and you will bless all the families of the world. Wow. That's, that's a pretty amazing promise. When we look at that covenant, I've, I've heard sermons preached about that. I'm thinking, well, that's cool. So that's the Jewish nation. They got that covenant. But actually, the New Testament tells us, as soon as you become, come into the Spirit of Christ, you are now children of Abraham. And therefore, you, are, you can fully... Ask for and receive that covenant. Now we're talking about the Father of God. Man, I remember, I remember going to a, a, a pastor friend of mine. He was a real fatherly pastor. He had a real fatherly anointing on him as a pastor. And I love those guys that are fathers in the faith, right? I remember going to him. Now, I'm a, I'm a creative, melancholy kind of guy and, and grew up with a lot of self-esteem problems and um, you know, low <laughs> insecurities, and just and it, they just spill over. I'm like, I've been, we were in worship ministry for a long time, and yet I'm still struggling with these insecurities and all this stuff. And every time there would be a problem, I would automatically go back to, it's my fault, my bad, I'm not good enough, I can't do enough, I can't get there, I'll, I'll never figure it out. And so I remember going to this pastor and, and kind of, you know, getting out all this stuff and telling him, oh, I can't, I can't beat this and I can't do that and I'm struggling with this. And he said, it's a strange thing. Like, I was expecting him to give me some practical advice on routine and discipline, which is what dads do. He said, 
dude, you know, you reckon 90% of your problems would go away if you just knew what God thought of you. If you just knew what God thought of you. Because I was going to God and saying, oh, Lord, I failed again. You must hate me by now. Imagine if your kid came to you and said that. If your son and daughter came to you struggling and they're failing with stuff and then they come crying to you saying, I failed again, sorry, Dad, you must hate me. You're like, that's the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, as soon as you see their tears, your heart reaches out to them. As soon as you see their insecurity, you want to smother them and say, no, you are full of worth. Why? Because you're mine. And it wasn't until I hated my own son that I could start to get a glimpse of how God thought of me. How does God think of you? When you come to him, he doesn't, he's not like this, this horrible dad. The things that we put in his mouth. The words that we put in his mouth, the things that we think God would think about us, are just ridiculous. That, would, that God would even start to think something like that. And the Bible makes it pretty clear. It says, if you, as earthly fathers, know how to good gifts, give good things to your children, how much more so is God, who is perfect? If we think nice things about our kids and we wouldn't want them feeling bad about themselves, then how much more so does God when we approach him? The beautiful thing with, with, with this is um, you, with, with God, there, is, there actually is no difference with us as his earthly fathers and him as the heavenly father, except it's just to the max. If we are affectionate towards our kids, then he is so much more affectionate towards us. Fathers, you, you get that. Oh my gosh, the affection. I, that's a strange concept to a lot of dads, to a lot of guys actually, not, not dads, men, that you can have that kind of affection. When I was, um, when, when Josh was like eight or so, I think I've told this story before, but just in case. When Josh was eight, um, I, I remember getting home one day, and it was after hours, it was like late, um, and he was already in bed. I just missed bedtime, so it would have been, I don't know, 8, eight o'clock or something like that, and um, he had just gone to bed, so I thought, oh, I'll go in and say goodnight to both the kids, I mean, they were both there, but as I walked through the door in the apartment that we were staying in at the time, I opened the door, and the light was shining in from behind, and I saw my shadow on the wall. Now... Josh and I had this, you know, that, that type of relationship. At that stage, he had this little fuzzy head, and you just kind of snuggle in. It was just the most gorgeous thing ever. Oh, you know, fuzzy head. And, and you know, kiss and just cuddle, and it was just that type of relationship we had. But I remember walking through the, walking through the door, uh, sliding it back, seeing the light and seeing my shadow, and I was actually quite foreboding. It looked quite big and scary. And I thought, oh, man, if I was a little kid seeing this big, dark figure come through the door, it could be really scary, right? Uh, unless I know who it is. I, I come through and I see this big shadow, and I can't change my shadow. I can't change the fact that I'm this big and that I can change, you know, maybe this, but no, I can't change the fact that I'm that tall or that wide. I just won't stand to the side. <laughs> right, stand this way. I can't change that fact. 
So that's how I'm going to look. And I can see, you know, if that was a stranger, some little kid I didn't know, and he saw this figure, you know, the door opened light and then this big foreboding shadow, it could be quite scary. Sometimes God looks scary. You imagine the children of Israel at the mountain where thunder and lightning and clouds of glory and, and big thundering voice. Sometimes he can look scary because that's him and his glory. But just like Josh, when he saw that figure, he wasn't scared because he knew who it was. And he thought, Daddy, there's my dad. And then this dad came in and just hugged and kissed him in his bed. That's the relationship we can have with him. We are not scared of his glory because we have that intimacy with him. If you don't know that intimacy, today is the day that changes. Don't be scared of him. You don't need to be scared of him. He's that father heart with that affection for you. As a dad, he always wants the best for you. He is a good father. As a dad, I want the best for my kids. As parents, you want the best for your kids. You never, ever hope that they fail. Why would we think that God wants, wants that for us? When we fail, we go to him and say, yeah, you knew this would happen. Right? He, is, he wants the best for it. Here's a cool thing about parents. You, especially a dad, when, I, when the kids were born, I was amazed at the way that I, the ultimate responsibility I felt for the well-being of my kids. The ultimate responsibility for the, for the education, for their character development. I want them to be well-behaved. I want them to learn respect. I want them to learn manners. I want them to, to treat other people with respect. I want them to treat other people's things with respect. Anybody else? Yeah, I want them to learn how to be fun. I want them to learn how to be outward, not inward. I don't want them to be selfish. I want them to be open. I want them to be generous. I want to take, but I take responsibility for that. And when they don't act like that, I actually feel the responsibility. Anybody else? Hey, when, when they don't act like that, you go, oh, man, it's my fault. When I see the things, you know that, that thing you say? Um, I, I am never going to be like my dad. <laughs> and then, you know, 40 years later, and you're just like your dad. And so I, I saw things in dad that I thought, I am never going to be like that. And then I saw it starting to happen in me. So I had to consciously break it and then give that to God and say, God, help me change that. And the spirit broke. And then I, I turned things around with my own son. There's, there's still things that I see in me and him that are from me. And I'm like, ooh, I better change that real quick. Because I have responsibility. God wants to see his image in us. He's taking responsibility for you. When the Bible says he is the author of your, of your salvation, the perfecter of your faith. Oh, this is, this is word now. He's the perfecter of your faith. Why? Because he wants to see his image in you. He wants to see you become like him. And therefore, he takes responsibility for you. You down? All right. And the last thing is, he's willing to die for you. Are you not willing to die for your kids? Would you not, without question, lay down your life for your kids? Then why do we find it so hard that God would do the same for us? As a father, I want to see my kids grow, so I teach you, I train you, I discipline you, I guide you, I push you out of comfort zones, I never put you in danger, even though it may seem scary, I won't give you anything that's bad for you, but I will also allow you to make decisions 
And sometimes I have to allow you to suffer the consequences of your decisions, even if it breaks my heart. We do that as parents. We know that we can't hold on to our kids once they reach a certain age and they decide to go and do some stuff. And just trying to control them, trying to hold them will just turn them against us more. You know that. Any, kid, any parent that's had a kid that's had, a, that's had dark times and they've just chosen to go off and do things that you just don't want them to do, maybe your heart is breaking today for a child that's rebelling at the moment, that's going through some stuff. And you've got to ask the question, well, if we know how to do that with our kids, how much more so that, that God allows us to make our own decisions and even suffer the consequences of our decisions. But that doesn't mean that he's rejected us. What do we do as parents? We say, we pray for our kids. Our heart is always out there reaching and breaking for them. And we're always, our door is always there open, waiting, waiting, waiting for them to come back. When you read the story of the prodigal son, we see a father waiting for his son to come back. But one day when his son comes back, and of course when his son comes back, what does the father do? He doesn't, he doesn't tell him off. He doesn't tell him, he doesn't... What's the word? Chastise him. He doesn't punish him. He doesn't judge him. He simply runs to him and gives him stuff he doesn't deserve. He puts a royal robe on him. He gives him his own ring. He gives him more inheritance. He wasted all that inheritance. How many times have we gone back to God saying, I've wasted everything you've given me, and we think we've used it all up. And he says, actually, there's way more. There's way more, just way more. That is the Father heart of God waiting for you. If a son asks for bread, you know the, the beautiful thing that he gives us more than bread, more than inheritance, more than wealth? He actually wants to give us his very own spirit. There's nothing pr more precious that you could have from the Father than his own spirit. And that's why it was such a beautiful thing that when Jesus came, as a human, when he got baptized, he said, this is my son who I love, and he gave him the Holy Spirit. It's significant because the Holy Spirit enabled Jesus to fulfill the will of the Father. God wants to give you his Holy Spirit so you can fulfill his will. He wants to give you his Spirit so that you can carry his Spirit with you, so you can carry his anointing with you so that it fulfills you, it empowers you to do what he's called you to do. He's not pushing you out there in your own strength. He's saying, come to me, and I love you, and I will give you the Spirit, and then you will be able to achieve everything you need to. It's an incredible thing when I think of Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, God said to him, take the son whom you love and sacrifice him to me. And I'm like, that's cold. I mean, isn't it enough just to say, hey, can you take this son and sacrifice him to me? Why did he have to say who you love? That's like, take this son who you love. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's just rubbing salt in the wound. Why did he have to add that? Because it's an analogy and it's a type of what one day God would have to do for us. This is the same son that he said when Jesus came, he said, this is my son whom I love. And when Abraham, and he tells Abraham, take your son whom you love and sacrifice him. He knew that one day he would then sacrifice his own son. This is the son whom I love. And echoes of that future call. And right there on that mountain where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, 
God sacrificed his own son years later for us. That is the heart of the Father for us. Willing to give up for us. It's amazing because for Abraham, losing Isaac meant losing the family name, losing the promise of God, and yet it was only through sacrificing his own son that he's able to bring that promise to us. Man, what an amazing father we have. That's there to give us everything we need, his very spirit. Just close your eyes for a second and just receive. Just receive from his very spirit. Father, what an incredible dad you are. Lord, that you've seen us from the, from the start. That you've promised us your very spirit. That you've promised us your heart. That, Lord, that you love us. And I just, I feel like there are people out here that have grown up with the wrong image of a dad. And now is your chance just to make peace with him. To receive. You don't have to do anything. You just have to open your heart to believe the truth that he thinks about you. The Father God loves you as his dearly beloved. Because you are co-heirs with Christ, he loves you the same way he loves Jesus. That Father heart is there waiting for you. He's waiting for you. You don't have to be ashamed of anything you've done. Anything that you've gone out looking for something to replace what you should have got from him in the first place. You don't have to be ashamed of that. You can run back to him and go back and he will be there waiting for you every single time. Every single time. I'm going to do a little, little something a little weird and just get you to imagine now. Imagine this father receiving you back into his arms and actually hugging you for whatever you've gone through, whatever you're ashamed of, and you are in front of him, his first response is to take you in his arms so you can rest in the arms of your papa. That dad hugging you, everybody has a longing for a dad hug. When you receive that hug, the next thing he does is he takes his own robe and he puts it on you. That tells you who you are. He covers you. His robe covers your sin. His robe covers your shame. His robe covers you. Imagine now he's taking his ring and he's putting it on you. That ring that he's now given to you tells everybody else in the world who you belong to. It carries an inheritance with it. It carries rights with it. It carries an anointing with it. It carries a name with it. It carries value. It tells everybody that you are now royal, despite what you've been through. You carry the ring of the king. And finally, imagine coming now back into the house and he's wrapped that you're there and all he wants to do is throw you a big party. All he wants to do is celebrate the fact that you're back. He's forgotten about you, what you did already. There's no, there's no going back. He's never going to hold it over you again. 
All he wants to do is celebrate the fact that you're back home. Man, that's so good. You're back home. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let's just say thank you to him. Right, if this is if this is it got you in your heart at, at any point, then just, just lift up your hands and receive his spirit and say, Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that you are our Father. That Lord, your heart for us is unbelievable. Your affection is so close and so intimate. Thank you, God, that your inheritance for us is not stolen, but it's there waiting for us. And Lord, we take hold of that. We take hold of our rights as princely people. Lord, as sons and daughters of the living God, you are our dad and we own that kingdom. So Lord, we receive all that kingdom. We will not believe the lies of the enemy anymore that tell us we are destined to be poor and not and broken and not whole again. No, in Jesus' name, we are co-heirs with Christ. He is the first among many. And so we stand in your presence, Lord, and receive all, our, all that goodness that you've got for us. We stand in your presence. Is that good? Why don't we stand now in his presence and just actually give him a big thanks, a big clap of thanks.